who's excited to hear God's word this evening? I'm a little nervous to preach this. That's why I'm going to sit down and try and be like one of those super hip trendy pastors. Because last time I preached this sermon, it actually almost cost me $207. You're all sitting there going, Geordie, how did this sermon nearly cost you $207? Well, last time I shared this was actually at our East Campus, probably two and a bit months ago now. And when praying about what to share with all of us this evening, I was reminded of this same word. So we rocked up at East Campus. I was pretty nervous, pretty pumped to get the word out there. And as we're about 10 minutes away, I turned to Talisha, who's in with the kids this evening. I said, honey, do you mind getting the iPad and putting my notes on there for me? I emailed it to you last night. She goes, yeah, yeah, no worries. Pulls out the iPad. I better make sure they're on here before I finish the story. Anyway, she pulls, pulls out the iPad and goes, there's no email. And I said, what do you mean there's no email? I sent it last night. She goes, there's no email. How else could I say that? I thought, well, give me the iPad. So don't drive down the road and do this. It's being recorded. I'm sorry. So I looked on the iPad and sure enough, I had forgotten to send my notes through to myself. So we got to East Campus. I said to Honey, Mernda's about 40 minutes away. If you leave now, you should have enough time to be able to email them from my laptop by the time I walk on stage. So she got them to me because that's how amazing my wife is. So I walked on stage opened it up, preached a word, and I made the joke to the congregation. I said, wouldn't it be hilarious if my wife got a speeding fine? About three weeks later, a random letter opens up in the letterbox. I go, oh, is this like your Medicare card? Honey, you know, you get all pumped and excited. It was not a Medicare card. It was $207 and three points. And I went, how fast were you going? And she was literally doing five kilometres over. And I thought, oh, come on, what are you doing? But I said, you know what, why don't we give it a crack? Why don't we give him a phone call and see if we can get out of this? We'll play the spiritual card, you know, like my husband was bringing the word. So she, she called Fines Victoria and they said, yeah, no worries, we'll wave it. Sounds good, no drama, that's great. But we do have another one here for you, Talisha Weber, is it? She goes, no, it's Talisha Wakeman. goes, oh, this one's from about 12 months ago, it's for $183. Because when she'd moved down from Queensland, they sent it to her old address. So long story short, this sermon's cost me something. But before we get into it, I really think it's important that we settle our thoughts right now and we just come around the Word of God because it is a privilege to get to share the Word of God with all these evening. So if you'd all like to bow your heads and pray with me. Lord, I pray right now that this Word reverberates deep in our souls this evening, Father. I pray that as we get around this Word, it's not just words that we forget and move our life, but I pray it's things we ponder on, we spend time on, and we grow more and more in love with you as we read your Holy Word. We love you so much, Father. Amen. So as some of you may know, I like to dabble in a little bit of guitar. Who wants to know a fun fact about Geordie right now that some of you may not know? Yes, at least six hands. Thank you so much. I used to play in a metal band. Hard to believe, I know. I mean, you look with the tattoos and how generally aggressive I am. You're like, yeah, that dude definitely plays death metal. But I used to play in a death metal band with our actual East Campus pastor, Nathan, as well, who's my brother-in-law. <laughs> we were the best band you never heard. And I know you're going, what happened after you wrote that sixth single? Well, we all got married and that was the end of our metal band. So what can you do? But as many of the guitar players at church will tell you, when it comes to technology and gear with guitar playing, I was a bit of purist, a bit of an old soul. I mean, I still buy CDs for crying out loud. I refuse to use Spotify. I will physically buy an album because you've got to support the artist. But anyway, one day, Brother Judd, who was playing guitar this evening, rocked up to church with this thing called a Fractal Axe 8. What's this thing? He goes, it's called a fractal axe. I said, oh, that makes sense. It says it on the box. I said, what is it? He goes, it's like a pedal board and an amp all in one. I said, Psh. 
Never sound as good as a real ant, man. What are you talking about? And then I heard him play that Sunday and the anointing fell as I heard his reverbs and went, oh no, I may have to do it. Because you've got to remember at this point, guys, I had a giant pedal board. Like I literally had spent thousands upon thousands of dollars on my pedal board. I thought I was sounding sick. And here Judd rolls up with this little black box of magic that sounds about a million times better. If you're wondering what they look like, we actually have one here this evening. You can't see well because you're sitting down, but it's a thing of beauty. It has an LED screen that reminds me of a Game Boy Color without the color on the screen, so perhaps a Game Boy Pocket. But anyway, Judd bought one, Pastor Nathan bought one, Lockie bought one. And I thought, oh, what are these boys doing? This is not the way. The pedal boards of the future. But every single week they would rock up and sound significantly better than me. And I said, this is not because they're better guitar players than me. This has to be the gear. And so I thought, well, heck, what am I going to do? They sound like a $10,000 guitar rig every week. I don't have 10 grand. At this point, I was a newly married man, and anyone that's newly married knows you don't have 10 grand laying around in the bank account. So I thought, well, heck, I'm going to have to sell all of my guitar gear to get one. So thus began the great fire sale of all my pedals. So I went onto the Facebook page, and I was flogging them off left, right, and centre, like doing deals with people all over the world. And I sold them all. I even had a person rock up to my house at 10 p.m. at night to pick up my guitar amp. He rocked up with his wife. It was super awkward and weird. And I thought, is this a bad idea? Walks into my room, plays the amp and goes, yeah, bro, I'll give you $7.50 for it. I said, I like them odds. There's an ATM around the corner. So I sold everything in about 10 days. So I thought, this is sick. I'll go online. I'll order Axe 8. Life will be good. So I went into work the next morning and I went onto the website. And I'm, I'm logging onto the website. All's good. I'm pumped. I've got thousands of dollars. I'm feeling good. And you know how you put things in like your shopping cart here online? I put it in the shopping cart and I go to hit click, but nothing happens. I go, what the heck? So I hit click again, just deletes out of the shopping cart. So I'm going to have to get on the digits. So I call the importer and go, hey, bro, trying to buy an Axe what's the go? And he goes, ah, mate, we've sold out. I said, what do you mean you've sold out? And he goes, we've got none. I said, oh, well, when are you going to get him? He goes, I don't know, could be July. And this was June. So I was like, I can wait a month. That's no worries at all. So I'd sold everything and then he wouldn't let me place the order because he wouldn't wait till he could get stock. So then July rolls around, no email. And at this point, I've been borrowing Judd's gear, been borrowing everyone's gear. It's crazy. So I could still play it because I had no gear. I had all these awesome guitars but nothing to play them through. And September rolls around and I get an email going, you can place your order something. And here we go, Lord spent two grand just like that. Ordered it, pumped. Then I get an email in October saying, hey, there's been a delay. And at this point, my heart dropped. I thought, I've got no money to show Talisha. I've got no gear to play my guitars through. This is a disaster. And literally at this point, I'm using all my friendship points with Lockie because he's like, bro, stop borrowing my X-Aid all the time. I thought I broke Judd's at another point. That was, that was not good. And then, so October rolls around and there's nothing. And then literally, I think this thing's never going to come. And I lost hope at that point. I thought, man, the promise is there. I've literally paid for this device, I should have it in no time at all. And then literally, at the mid-November when it was supposed to come, I got another email. They'd been delayed. And at this point, that was me, Lockie. I cried. I wept, man. Talisha saw me. I said, Jesus wept. I get it now. So I sat there. But then on the 1st of December, a joyful day happened. Do we have that slide on the screen, please, Matt? Maybe we don't have it. Look at how happy I am in that moment. On the 1st of December, it arrived. I knocked off work early that day. I said, I'm out of here. And Pastor Charles said, what do you mean? I just left. I'm still employed. It's good times. 
But the point I'm trying to make with this analogy is this. The promise was there the whole time because I'd bought it, I'd invested money and I was going to do something about it. But the promise took a lot more time than I thought it would. And if we could be real with each other this evening, sometimes that could be us and the promises that God's put on our life and our heart. We could seemingly be doing everything right and all of a sudden it does not pan out the way we want it to. And for those that are taking notes this evening, the title of my sermon is this, The Promise Takes Time. And this morning I wanted to look at the life of King David. I wanted to look at specifically from he was anointed by the prophet Samuel to the moment that he became king of all Israel. And if you have your Bibles, let's open them to 1 Samuel chapter 16, 11 to 13. And if you don't have them, don't stress, we'll have it on the, on the screen. We'll do a little bit of reading tonight. Does that sound good? So from verse 11 it reads, Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. What a passage of scripture. So the prophet Samuel, anyone knows anything about the Old Testament prophets, they are pretty radical dudes. Like They're the kind of dudes that you want to roll with because you don't know what's going to happen. So he rolls in and he's ready to anoint the next king of Israel. God sent him there. And you see all these good-looking dudes that on the surface that you're like, yeah, this is the guy you want. But one by one, he goes through and it's none of them. And he sits there, he sees a passage, he goes, well, where's the guy? And there was a guy tending sheep. And God says to Samuel, that's the guy I want to anoint the king of Israel. And I love that picture because in life, on the surface, that does not look like how you think God would fulfill one of his promises, does it? You think you would take the handsome, the good-looking, the strong, but he comes in one that he's called for. And the first point that I wanted to make tonight is this. Well, I didn't see that coming. Promises don't always start out the way that we think they will. So after David has anointed Samuel, you would think that he's going to go, cool, I'm the next king of Israel. He's going to roll into King Saul and he's going to sit there and go, this is it, I've arrived. But I actually love how the first meeting happens. And if we read in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 16 to 19 together, we'll see. And it says, Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide me a man who can play well and bring him to me. And the young man answered, Behold, I've seen the son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valour, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messages to Jesse and said, Send me David your son, who is with the sheep. So David's been anointed the future king of Israel, and what's he called before Saul for? Not because he's the future king of Israel, but because he's a good musician. Well, I didn't see that coming. The promise that David would be king still stood, but I, did, but I bet he didn't think it would start out with him playing something before the king. Promises don't always start out as we think. Back in the day, gee, that makes me sound old if I say a statement like that, but back in the day, I actually used to teach guitar for a bit of side hustle, you know what I'm saying? Like Gary V Hustle Life. I used to teach dudes, and these young kids would roll up to lessons in Metallica T-shirts, Guns N' Roses T-shirts, and I'd sit down and go, hey, what do you want to learn on guitar? And they'd usually play me Eddie Van Halen's Eruption. I was going to play that for you on guitar, but I've forgotten how to, so we're not going to worry about that tonight. 
But they'd sit there and I'd sit there and stare at this like seven-year-old kid and go, cool, that's a pretty complex bit of music right there, my friend. How about we start with figuring out what the name of the strings are in an E minor chord, to which they'd usually go, yeah, it makes total sense. And off they'd go and by the end of the lesson they could play an E minor guitar chord. But what I love about that is if that young person is willing to stick at it because they have the determination, they have the promise, they've got the guitar, they've got the attitude, but if they apply themselves and stick at it, one day they'll be able to play that bit of music. And that's always stayed with me because the promise was still there for King David, but he could have stopped at that point and going, well, this is not how I thought it would start. And I wanted to ask this question this evening. How many of us have given up on a promise God has spoken to us because it didn't start as we think? How there's been more heartache involved than we thought? How all of a sudden we thought this is a clear path before us, but it hasn't happened that way. Sometimes the promises don't always start out as we think. Imagine if when David went before King Saul, he thought, hold on, why am I here playing a musical instrument? Aren't I supposed to be the next king of Israel? And imagine if that moment he questioned the promise and thought, you know what? Being a musician is a pretty cruisy gig. I might just stop here and we'll not worry about all that king stuff. Just because something doesn't start out how we think doesn't mean God is not working. It doesn't mean that the promise isn't there anymore. Because it's in those moments where it doesn't make sense to you and I that we need to hold on to God more and more and more. We need to not let go of the promises he's placed on our heart. Just because something has not started out with thought does not mean it's not going to come to fruition. And I'm living proof of that sitting here this evening. And I know as Justin shared his story, there's many of us that are living proof of that. Promises don't always start out as we think. Now, who here, like me, is a bit of a planner? Give me a wave. Do we have any planners in the house? Come on now. I see those hands. I see those hands at the back right now. Now, I am a planner through and through, which I know many of you think, gee, that's hard to believe, but Pastor Charles giggled because he knows how structured I am. I am a very organised dude. My wife would attest to that, but she's doing kids right now. We're not having kids. She's just in with the kids department. Need to get in front of that. But let me be clear. When I go shopping, I have a clear budget and I have a clear plan of attack. I walk into JB Hi-Fi. I know exactly where that new Opeth album is. It's at the back of the heavy metal section. It's under O. Makes sense. Opeth. And I walk out of there knowing that if I'm paying more than $20, I'm getting ripped off and perhaps I should get on Spotify. But that's how I shop. And occasionally, look, I do deviate from the plan when it comes to grocery shopping. I'm guilty of putting a few boost bars in there when Talisha's not looking. So when she gets to the end, she's like, it's like shopping with a child. And I said, one day, honey, one day. <laughs> but for the planners in the room, what is about the worst thing that can happen to you? You can give me a bit of feedback. What's the worst thing that can happen? No, it's true, Tom. We're not talking about the scene anymore. If you're a planner in the room, the worst thing that can happen to you is when something doesn't go to plan. Oh, we're just sitting there going, this is not what I had written out at my 10-point plan for world domination. I mean, sorry, church domination. That's a... But it could drive you nuts, yeah, if you're a planner, it doesn't go wrong. So I want to tell you all the story. It happened about, would have been about a month and a half ago. So after Hope Tour, I'd been away for a week, and I said to Talisha, hey, honey, because I'm a planner, I'm going to take you on a hot date. It's going to be unreal. We're going to go see Aladdin. It's going to be really good. Side note, Will Smith did an incredible job as a genie. So anyway, we're driving to Greensboro because they've got the recliners and all that, and Epping was booked. But anyway, planning. Plan ahead. Know what you're doing. 
So we're sitting at the traffic lights in the Subaru. We're talking about life, the future, all that sort of stuff, and it's going well. Then, bam, I look in my rearview mirror, and there's a truck that's decided it doesn't like the back of my Subaru anymore. And in that moment, let me be real, that was not a part of my plan. Tisha goes, are you all right, honey? And I went dead quiet because I love my Subaru. And I said, we're just going to pull over. And I said, Lord, give me peace and don't let the truck driver be bigger than me. So I got out of the car and he was shorter than me. So it was fine. No. And I looked at him. He looked at me and I said, oh, didn't say that one coming. And he goes, yeah, I didn't see you either. And we had a bit of a chuckle and he paid for it. But my second point that I'm going is this. We chuckled because insurance was paying for it. But my second point is this. Promises don't always go according to our plans. If we jump back into the life of King David in 1 Samuel chapter 24, verses 1 to 7, we can see things are not going to plan for him. So if you turn with me now, when Samuel returned from following the Philistines, he was told, sorry, when Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, behold, David is in the wilderness of Angai. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel, and he went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way, where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Edgy at 5 p.m., I like it. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as you shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward David's heart struck him, because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord. And the Lord's anointed to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose and left the cave and went on his way. I think it is pretty safe to say that for our man, King David, things are not going to plan at this point. He's literally being chased by King Saul and living in a cave. And I'm sure when the prophet Samuel anointed him, he, would, he did not think this is how it's going to turn out for me. But I love this particular passage of scripture because we see how David's response to this situation was and when everything was going wrong. Look at verse 4 and 5. And the men of David said to him, Here is a day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as you shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward David's heart struck him because he cut off a corner of Saul's robe. His men tell him, this is it. What you've been waiting for has finally happened. King Saul's here. Go get some. This is going to be sick. Let's kick it Assassin's Creed style. And David sneaks out and goes to cut off a corner of his robe. But as soon as he does it, he knows what he's done is not the right thing. I love that line where it says, and his heart struck him. Who knows that, who's ever been in that situation where we've done something and instantly we know that was not the right thing to do. Our heart strikes us right there. And what I love that this passage of Scripture is highlighting is this. When the promise isn't going according to our plans, it could be so tempting to take things into our own hands. But just because we can't see what God is doing doesn't mean he isn't doing something. What a lesson David's men would have learnt in that moment when they saw their leader listen, obey, and honour God they would have seen that the Lord was indeed with David, as we read all the way back in 1 Samuel 16. It's in those moments where you and I want to wrestle back the promise out of God's hand because it's not going according to ours, that we want to do it in our own strength. We want to look to our own way. But we have to do what David did. 
We have to hold on to the fact that God's got this. Even if to you and I it's going so far outside of our plans that we have to say, you know what, no, God knows what he's doing. God is working in these situations. God is working in these moments. And it's something that I'm constantly reminded about in my own walk with Jesus, if I could be brutally honest with you guys this evening. There are so many times, as I said, I'm a planner. I have a 10-part plan for everything. Talisha will tell you I have a 10-part plan for him what Netflix series we're going to watch next. It's Stranger Things. I can't wait. Come on, get around it. Yes, Tomo, just for you, my boy, just for you. Tomo, for anyone who's wondering why that young man just yelled out, for about the last two years he's been saying, so you watched season two of Stranger Things yet? I said, bro, I can't, I'm married now. And he goes, this is what marriage is. I want no part of it. (laughs) And I said, you're young, you'll get there. But as I said, I'm constantly reminded about moments where I want to take things into my own hands because it's not panning out how I thought it should. And at Hope Tour this year, myself and Pastor Charles have booked Pastor Blake Young in to speak at the Hope Tour. And anyone that heard Pastor Blake Young know that dude is an incredible man of God and what a communicator. And we were both pumped. Myself and Pastor Charles like, I think we've nailed it this year. I'm like, I think we have, bro. And good times. But it was about a week before Hope Tour. And Pastor Charles calls me on a Thursday, the Thursday before Hope Tour, and goes, hey, bro, I've had a really good idea. I reckon I can get Tim O'Matic for the whole week. And I was a little bit tired and stressed, as most of you saw, so I said, yeah, just do it, sounds great. But then I pondered on it for the next afternoon, and I was like, hold on, this is not in our plan. So I called Pastor Charles back and said, don't get Tim O'Matic. And he goes, too late, I've already done it, mate. We've got it for Monday and Tuesday. I said, well, well, it's too late now. Because that wasn't a part of my plan, and it wasn't a part of Pastor Charles's. But hey, that's how we roll. You've got to be flexible. But on that Sunday night, I was down at Geelong with the team and we were literally on the cusp of going into the next schools on the Monday and Pastor Charles calls me and he goes, hey, bro, I need you to walk outside of the room for a sec, which, as you know, when your senior pastor calls you and open with that, it's not going to be a good conversation that follows. So I wandered out of the room and said, hey, man, what's going on? And he goes, hey, I just got off the phone to Blake. Something's happened with his flights. He's actually not going to be here till Wednesday. And in that moment, my heart sunk. I thought, oh, We've got six schools booked in and no main speaker. Who knows in that moment that was not a part of our plan. But what blew me away in that moment was, even though we didn't have Blake, we had Tim O'Matic for the Monday and the Tuesday. Even when I couldn't see it, God was moving in the background. And just because a promise doesn't turn out how you think it would or go to your plan does not mean it won't come to pass. Because those kids were blessed and had an incredible experience where God was moving when even myself or Pastor Charles couldn't see. And I'm constantly reminded that we as believers in a body of Christ, we have to give it all to Him. It's not about us doing it in our own strength. You saw what King David did. If you're hiding in a cave, I can guarantee you're probably not going to be in a great mood with God because you're going, Lord, you had this promise. You said I was going to be king of Israel, but here I am hiding for my life. Yet in that moment, he still listened and he still obeyed and God was still moving. And the same God that was there for King David is the same God that we still serve to this day. Promises don't always go according to our plans. Don't take the easy way out and take the shortcut. Stop in that moment and wait. Trust that God will fulfill his promise to you. And it may not be in the way that you thought, or it may not even be in the way that you planned. But remember, the promise takes time. It might take this 
opportunity to invite Tees up on keys if I could, please. And my third and final point that I wanted to explore this evening with all of you is this. Are you prepared for the promise? In 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 to 4, we read, Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we're your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherds of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over all Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. Powerful passage of that scripture that we could probably skip over is actually the age of King David. Most commentators and scholars agree that when Samuel anointed David, he was 12 years old. Here he is at 30 years old, finally the promise of God being fulfilled for his life. 18 years is a long time. And if we could be real this morning, waiting sucks. And how many of us have given up on the promises of God because we're sick of waiting? But it took 18 years, 18 whole years. And here David stands being anointed king over Israel, exactly what Samuel had said when he anointed him back as 12. Here it is coming to fruition. And what a journey he had been on to reach that moment. The promise of him becoming king is fulfilled. And I love another little bit of that scripture that we can miss. It's actually here. So as we're reading from verse 2, and it's at the end. And the Lord said to you, you shall be shepherd of my people in Israel. Where did Samuel find David originally? Correct. In a paddock tending sheep. So all the way back at the start, God was preparing David for that promise, even before the promise had been said. And I don't know about you, but man, that fills me with so much joy. That even before we know what God's promise is, He knows what your promise is to you. Even before we're formed in our mother's womb, He knows. And you know what? Not every situation King David went through was a good one. But I truly believe this. It's those situations that shaped him into who he needed to be walking God's promises. I truly believe that. And I know in life that not all situations are great, not all situations are fun. And some can be hard. And you know what? There'll be times we'll be sitting and go, I don't understand why this is happening. This is not what you promised God. Why is this happening? But it's in those moments and those trials and those hard times that we have no other choice but to turn to God and to trust Him. And it's in those moments of full surrender to Him that something actually begins to shift and change inside of us. How many of us have gotten into a situation that we're not prepared for? Give me a wave. Mine has a lot to do with my high schooling, believe it or not. I walked into my year 12 exam without ever having read the book for English. I was not prepared for that exam. That was not a good move, young youth kids in the room. Do not be like me. Come prepared. But what blows me away about that is the actual promise that I could get a good mark was there. I'd been attending the subject the whole year. I'd been given the book. I'd been told the questions, but I did nothing with it. I was being prepared the whole year to get a good mark, but I wasn't prepared to. 
because that was a choice I had to make. And how we respond to situations determines what we will take away from those. Perhaps you're going through something right now and God is actually preparing you for that promise you've been waiting for the whole life. But it's how we respond in those moments. Are you going to respond like King David or are we going to take things in our own hands? 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 2. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. It's crazy that, isn't it? A little shepherd boy, now the king of Israel. And when I think about getting prepared, I often do come back to my wedding day. You all probably think, man, Geordie talks about that a lot, but it really was the most exciting day of my life because I knew on the, well, I've got it written down here, on the 23rd of July, 2016, at four o'clock exactly, under a bridge at the Fairfield Boathouse, romantic as, I knew I was going to marry Talisha. I knew. Something inside me said, this is a girl you're going to spend the rest of your life with. But I had to get prepared to marry her. Because that was a good intention and a great feeling, but if I had done nothing between that and our wedding day, we would not have a good marriage. Practicals. I had to save some money. I had to meet her family. I had to sell an R1 to pay for the engagement ring. Still a little salty on that, but we'll get there. She's in the other room, I could say that. But even through preparing and enriching marriage and all that sort of stuff as well, you've got to put the time in God. And it took one year and 10 months. But I stood there on my wedding day and I was prepared to be the husband that she needed me to be. The promise takes time. The promise of marriage was there back on the 23rd of July, 2016. But if I'd done nothing with that promise, what would have eventuated? And as we begin to close this evening, I want us to think about the promises we as a family of believers are holding on to right now. Because I can guarantee we've all got them. We've all heard words spoken over us before. We've all had visions that God has placed in us. But they haven't come to pass. And you can get fatigued holding on to promises. And for some of you, you're praying for your young ones to come back to the house. And I sit here this morning as someone that's a prodigal that came home. My mum never let go of that promise that I'd come home. And she could have. I could have given her every reason to, but she never did. And there are some of you sitting here going, God has spoken, but I've forgotten that promise. And I wanted to pray for all of us this evening as I begin to close and invite Lockie up. We need to remember that the promise takes time. And we need to remember that it's not always going to be easy. But I guarantee you this. If you hold on to those promises, you trust God, you get prepared, you will see them come to pass. Families will be restored. Relationships will be restored. So as we close our eyes right now, I'm just going to pray. And if that's you this morning, if you're saying, sorry, this evening, you're saying, you know what, Geordie? I'm tired. I'm tired of waiting. I just need more strength. I'm just going to ask you with every eye closed just to give me a wave because I'd love to see who I'm praying for this, this evening. If that's you, just give me a wave. Awesome. Lord, I thank you so much that we can come before you humbly and we can, we can say, you know what, Father? Even in the times of waiting, we're going to trust you. Even if the way the promise begins doesn't make sense to us, we're going to trust you.
Even if things don't go according to our plans, we're going to trust you. And Lord, even if it takes time, we're going to trust you because we're going to get ready. And I thank you so much, Father, for those people that respond tonight, Lord. I pray you would fill them right now with your Holy Spirit. Let them know that they're not alone in these journeys. These visions and dreams will come to pass and they will see things be restored, Father, in your precious and holy name. We love you so much, Lord, and I thank you for the honour it's been to come around your word tonight, Father. And I pray we, as a group of believers, never let go of the promises. Even when things are tough, Lord, we hold on with both hands and say what? We know you've got this, Lord. It's not our will but yours. We love you so much, Father.